The Old Testament lesson for this, the third Sunday in Lent, is from the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter, beginning at verse 1. And this text will also serve as the basis for the sermon this morning. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days... The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel is according to St. John, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, Jesus drove all of them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is, as I said a few moments ago, the Old Testament lesson, which is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, and those, of course, are the Ten Commandments. In the name of Jesus, dear fellow believers in Him, the people of Israel stand at the base of Mount Sinai. A trumpet blares. The heavens rumble. A crack of lightning cuts through the dark sky. Fire hovers over the mountain, and smoke pours out from the mountain like a volcano preparing to erupt, and the whole mountain literally shakes. The Israelites, they tremble with fear and dread. Moses stands amid that smoke with his arms raised into the air, and God's bellowing voice thunders, You shall have no other gods before me. And the mountain shakes. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. A bolt of lightning flashes. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And the sky rumbles. Few scenes in the Bible are as threatening and as intimidating as this one. And yet from the thunder and the lightning and the billowing smoke, the Lord bellows, I will show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Showing love to a thousand generations. The Ten Commandments are actually a manifestation of our Heavenly Father's love for us and His love for all people. 
I mean, a parent who loves their children sets boundaries for their children's protection and well-being. And so with the giving of the Ten Commandments, God is not trying to crush His children with red tape and regulations or to take the joy out of, out of His children's lives with endless burdensome laws. No, the Ten Commandments enrich and, in, and they edify our lives and the lives of other people around us. It strengthens our society when we live within the boundaries that God has given us. But, if we live outside of those boundaries, there will be far-reaching, even devastating consequences for generations to come. And our own faith will be in peril. I mean, what might our society look like if its citizens live not by the Ten Commandments? Might it be a world of idolatry and superstition and dark arts? Might it be a society where the individual is God and their personal rights worshipped? Might it be a society where people play God as they manufacture and manipulate life, even in a test tube? Might it be a society where parental authority is commandeered by conniving ideologues? Might it be a society where children, even the unborn, are sacrificed and where the disabled are eliminated from the gene pool and the elderly are abused and even aided to die prematurely? Might it be a society where immorality spreads like gangrene and the institution of marriage and family disintegrates and even rots. Might it be a society where a person is hesitant to leave one's door unlocked for fear of intruders or to go for a stroll at night for fear of being mugged? Might it be a society where people's reputations are soiled by targeted hatred and voices of opposition are silenced? Where the strong seize from the neighbor what they covet because they can? Would you want to live in such a godless, lawless society like that? Where God's laws are ignored and willfully violated? Well, God gave us the Ten Commandments for our good and for the good of our society. He gave the Ten Commandments to curb our evil behavior so that we might order our lives by them, so that we might love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and body and mind, and that we might love our neighbor as ourselves. His will for us in giving us the Ten Commandments is for us to fear, love, and trust in Him above all things, that we might call upon His name in every trouble and use our voices to pray, praise, and give Him thanks. He gave us the Ten Commandments so that we might set aside a day for physical and spiritual rest and gather together in worship to hear the Lord's words being preached and taught to us. He has given us the Ten Commandments so we might honor and love and serve our parents and others in authority that we would love and cherish them. That we neither harm nor hurt our neighbor but help and support them in every physical and spiritual need. He's given us the Ten Commandments so that we might lead a sexually pure and decent life in which we say and do 
that which is pleasing to God and that husbands and wives would actually love and honor each other until natural death do they part. And he's given us the Ten Commandments so that we would neither scheme nor take our neighbor's money or possessions, but that we'd help, help them and improve them and protect their possessions and income and everything else that belongs to our neighbor, and that we would defend our neighbor's reputation, that we would speak well of our neighbor and put the best construction on everything that our neighbor does. That's why God gives us the Ten Commandments. A pastor describes his experience in Cairo, Egypt. He writes, In a bus with 40 tourists, my hands were gripped in prayer as we tackled the horrendous traffic of Cairo. We were surrounded by hundreds of Mercedes, old jalopies, camel wagons, bicycles, and pedestrians with big loads on their backs and donkeys carrying huge bands of or bundles of alfalfa with the owner perched on top. And all converged on the same intersection, and everyone... Everyone ignored the stoplights. What about the traffic lights, I yelled at the tour guide. His reply, in Cairo, lights are just a suggestion. If you ever traveled in other parts of the world, you know what he speaks of. Lights, they're just a suggestion. Might this attitude that the people in Cairo have towards lights be the attitude that most, if not all, people have towards the Ten Commandments. Might it even be our own attitude towards the Ten Commandments. That the Ten Commandments are just simply suggestions as to how we live our life. That is, that if they fit within our desired way of living. A few years ago, Sandra and I attended a conference. The keynote speaker was Dr. Dale Meyer of the Lutheran Hour Ministries. Dr. Meyer said that there's one word that sums up the way that people live their lives. That word, whatever. You've heard it, whatever. Whatever you believe is true for you, well, that's true for you. Whatever I believe is true, well, that's true for me. Unless, of course, what you believe and think and do is somehow contrary to what I think and do, and I'm of the stronger, more powerful class of people, and then I can force my views on you and even cancel you in your voice. Whatever. Whatever. That's the philosophy of anarchy. That's a religion that breeds immorality that spawns godlessness, that fractures relationships. It's a philosophy that leads to death, the death of a society, the death of people, the death of one's soul. Whatever. It's the philosophy of hell. Dr. Meyer continued his presentation by asking the 200 people that were there, can you recite the Ten Commandments in order? Well, many of the people <laughs> dropped their heads, afraid that he might actually call on them to begin the recitation. And he said, forget about saying them in order. How about just being able to say them in any order? Again, 
nervousness hung over the 200 attendees as they prayed, please, Dr. Meyer, don't call upon me. And then Dr. Meyer asked, if you don't know the Ten Commandments, how can you keep them? How can you keep them? You know, our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren are affected by whether or not we keep the Ten Commandments today. They're affected by the idolatrous decisions that we make now. God promises that the negative and the punitive consequences of our actions reverberate throughout generations. That's what he says in our text, doesn't he? The sins that we commit today affect the generations into the future. So do we really think that we're doing our children any good if we place them on a pedestal and almost worship them as gods themselves? Do we really think that the neglect of weekly corporate worship of the true God is healthy for our children and our grandchildren's soul and even for our own soul? Do we really think that the redefinition of family is going to solidify a person's identity and, and roots and create a more stable society? Like, are we kidding ourselves? Do we really think that children growing up in fatherless homes will provide a stable and authoritarian foundation that they need for their future? Do we really think that killing unborn babies and encouraging the elderly to die and even assisting them to die will create a culture in which all human life is cherished and valued and that, there's, and that, that we're living to support the disadvantaged? Do we really think that encouraging people and even children to harm themselves because they think that they're a boy when they're really a biological girl is somehow doing them a service? Do we really think that we're fixing the psychological and spiritual problems by indulging ourselves in our flesh? God punishes the sins of their fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, he says. But he shows love to a thousand generations. You see, God's law is good. And God gives us his love law because he loves us. Not only so that we'll order our lives by it and that we'll have a healthier life to which we live, and a healthier life of which we're giving to our children, and a society that we're giving to our children and grandchildren. But God's law is also good in that it shows us our sin. Oh, that God's law would be that surgical scalpel that just cuts to the heart and reveals how we have sinned, how I have sinned against God in our thoughts and our words and our deeds by what we've done and by what we have not done. And hopefully, like the Israelites in our text, we repent. First, we tremble in fear. Fear of God's wrath and justice. Fear of His present and eternal punishment. Fear of knowing that the wages of our sin is death, and not just physical death, but spiritual death and even eternal death. And that this fear inspires in us or instills in us the desire to say, I am a poor, miserable sinner 
Please, God, be merciful to me. His mother had just tucked Bobby into bed and was waiting, and he and was waiting now to listen to him say his prayers. But Bobby had been naughty that day. His mother didn't know he had been naughty that day. But it bothered his conscience as he thought about praying. And so he said, Mom, I wish you'd go now. Just leave me alone. I want to pray by myself. Well, sensing that something was wrong, she asked, Bobby, is there anything that you want to tell me? No, Mommy, you would just scold me. If I tell God, he'll forgive me and then forget about it. You see, the Ten Commandments, yeah, they smack us between the head. At least they do for me. They certainly show me my sin. Hopefully they show you your sin too. So that you and I all recognize that we're just beggars before the Lord, begging for his forgiveness and mercy. And yes, hopefully his law even convicts us of our sin. And as we are convicted of sin, we might wonder, God, will you forgive me? And God gives a resounding yes. I do forgive you. I will show my love unto you and unto a thousand generations. And you see, God forgives me and you because of what his son Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. It's for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ that God forgets our sins. It's for the sake of Jesus Christ that he shows love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. And here is a startling, even most wonderful truth. It's that God shows his love to those who don't keep his commands, including me and including you. What did God do? before he actually gave the people the Ten Commandments. He reminded them that he had delivered them from slavery. He said in verse 2 of our text, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He had showed the people of Israel his love unto that generation. And it was because of his love for them that he was now giving them these Ten Commandments because, as I said before, that's what a father does for his children. Or that's what a mother does for her children is they give boundaries in which they live. Well, our Lord has delivered us from slavery too. The Bible says that before we were converted to faith in Jesus Christ, we were held in bondage to sin, death, and even to the devil. But the Lord Jesus Christ came and he set us free. He set us free from this bondage. And he did it by taking our sin and the curse of sin upon himself. And, and he has set us free once and for all. And that is why we preach Christ and him crucified. Because it's in the crucified Christ that sin has been done away with. Satan has been vanquished. 
And it's by his suffering and death and rising from the dead that he has indeed set us free, even from the curse of death itself. He shows his love to us unto the third and fourth and fifth generations. Friends, it's in Jesus' name. It's because of Jesus that we are forgiven of all of our sin. One day, Abraham Lincoln went to a slave auction, and he noticed a young woman glaring at everyone with hate and contempt, and rightly so. For she had been used and abused most of her life. And being on the auction block was one more humiliation. And Lincoln was moved. And so when the bidding started, he offered a very large sum of money for her. And he kept bidding until he eventually outbid everyone else. And after he paid the auctioneer and received her title... The slave girl kept followed behind him but looked at Lincoln with contempt. The young slave finally asked Lincoln what he was going to do with her. And he said, I'm going to set you free. Free? Free for what? she asked. Just free. Completely free. Free to do whatever I want to do? she asked. Free to say what I want to say and go where I want to go? Yes, Lincoln replied. And then he continued to answer a flood of her questions that flowed out of her disbelief. And then finally she said to Lincoln, I want to go with you. The Lord has bought us from bought us our freedom from slavery using nothing short of his own blood. Yes, it took the blood of God, the Son of God, to set us free from the curse of sin and death. It took nothing but the blood of God to show his love to a thousand generations. And he has set us free. And thus we respond to God, free? I'm free to do whatever I want? Say whatever I want? Go anywhere I want? Well then, Lord, I want to go with you. Yes, we want to go with you, Lord. And that means taking the Ten Commandments to heart beginning to live our lives by them and being governed by those laws, not because we have to, but because we want to. We want to serve our loving and kind and forgiving Master, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's no one in this whole universe who loves us more than He Yes, living our lives according to the Ten Commandments is our labor of love. It's our labor of love to the one who shows his love to a thousand generations, which includes you and it includes me. Amen.
And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.